Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the post-Super Bowl game show. Right. I mean, the post-Super Bowl game mm-hmm. show. Right, right, right. We're not a game show. Right. That was a game show. Super Bowl. And we'll talk about that in a minute. We have thoughtful conversation about the news of the day, and we expose the existential threats to America. Joining me today is Heather MacDonald. Heather is the Thomas Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a contributing editor of City Journal. She's one of a kind. Mm-hmm. She's sui generis. Mm-hmm. She writes about things and says things in a way that no one else does. She touches on things that no one else wants to touch. No. They're scared to do it. She's not afraid to do it she's and not, say what she, she thinks. Yeah. She's unafraid. Well, let's uh, do a little retrospective on the Super Bowl first. Okay. I, do you know, maybe you can research this while I'm gabbing, uh-huh. the last time Patrick Mahomes, quarterback for the Chiefs, was in a game and did not throw a touchdown pass? Ah, let me check. Uh, t- give me your reaction. I thought it was a great game. You did? Um, oh, I thought it was a great game. game. Wasn't a great well, the reason I thought it was a great game was because it wasn't a great game. I thought that Tampa Bay being the underdog, I'm watching thinking, can can they pull this off? Can they do this? Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, can can break? And so they go up 7 nothing, And, you know, I guess it was 7-3, 14-3. Then I watched the big mismanagement of the clock, really, by Andy Reid, calling a lot of those timeouts and giving Brady so much time left. to end the, What was that all about? I don't know. I mean, you know. It's a minute left, and they've got, Brady's got the ball to call it your own, a timeout on your own team. Right, exactly. You're not going to get it back. <laughs> and so I'm watching this, and, and I'm just thinking to myself, wow, can, can they pull it off? So to me, it was exciting because I was rooting. I thought Kansas City would win, but I was rooting for Brady because I, 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 like, I like seeing Brady win. And so uh, that's what made it exciting for me, the fact that the underdogs were kind of pulling this thing out. And, uh, and I loved it. I mean, I loved the, uh, Tampa Bay's defense. Um, underrated for most of the season. Most of the people were talking about Tampa Bay's defense. You know, they've got um, a great front four. Uh, they're, they're secondary and linebackers. I mean, they're all big for their positions, you know, and fast. And uh, Todd Bowles coordinated, you know, a great defense. Yeah, he's going to be the MVP. Exactly. You know, I wonder I wonder if Tom Brady saw anything in this defense, especially with that front four, that reminded him of the front four he faced against the Giants. Uh, that because uh, he lost both two of his Super Bowls were losses against the, those Giants teams, uh-huh. and one of those teams were the undefeated Patriots team with Randy Moss until they got to the the. So I wonder if he saw anything with that front four that resembled what he faced against the Giants and kind of said, "Hey, this kind of stuff worked, you know, years ago." On, on yeah, you can't wait one to make it happen. But mm-hmm. I, the, the Tampa Bay defense, as the whole Tampa Bay team, just got better all year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a victory for uh, and a good to very good performance by Brady. Not sensational. No, no, no. But sensational was his defensive line. Uh, four guys rushing, only four, putting pressure on Patrick Mahomes like crazy, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. chasing him around. And and there were several plays where he's under pressure, and he runs almost 20 yards <laughs> back just to try to buy some time. I know, and some passes falling oh, down that were sensational. Mm-hmm. Guys dropped him. There were a few calls that I thought were questionable. Calls were certainly going against Kansas City early, and a lot. Mm-hmm. They had they amassed a lot of penalty yards, and they were at some crucial points. But uh, the Bucks were the Bucks were going to win that game. Right uh, again, these games are tend to be won in the trenches. And you know, to be fair to Kansas City, their trenches were light. Mm-hmm. They had substitutes, you know, both tackles. You know, there's a reason I think it was you know when they had. Um, that book came out the blind side about how much the left offensive tackle is paid mm-hmm. to protect the quarterback, usually one of the most highly paid people on the team. Well, we had substitute there and substitute the other tackle. And against those, as you put a big, fast 
defensive players for the Bucks just was no no way it was going to happen. But it was it was it was, it was quite amazing. And um, you know, Brady was steady and solid. The thing I'll say about Brady is, you know, he is as someone said this morning on TV, he's management as well as quarterback, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I guess he's kind of a captain. He came, and there are good receivers there. There's, uh, what's his name, Mike? Uh, Evans. Michael Evans. Mm-hmm. O.J. Howard, who's been out, this Godwin guy. Mm-hmm. But Brady got there and said, I want Antonio Brown, mm-hmm. who's kind of a questionable character. You know, he talked about his own hijinks. <laughs> so they took him. He said, I want to bring Gronk back. They brought Gronk. I want to bring uh, uh, Fournette. And those three guys were the heroes of the game, or big stars of the game. Absolutely, Gronk, who I don't believe caught a touchdown all season, Ness- caught two, caught two last night. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, you know, you talk, Antonio Brown had uh, talked about this in a post game um, presser. He says, you know, I, I've had a lot of trouble, and folks have given up on me, but Tom was one who didn't. And the reason I have a, you know. Fourth chance <laughs> right now with a team yeah. is because uh, is because Tom believed in me and I'll be forever grateful for it, you know. And uh, well, it sure is Brady a front office job when he retires, mm-hmm. if that should ever happen. <laughs> if he should ever. He's back. He's coming back next year. He said so. He said he can play two or three more years. Yeah. yeah. And why? And why? Why would I think he couldn't? You yeah. know. We'll see. Uh, the last time Patrick Mahomes did not throw a touchdown in a game was uh, September 29th, two thousand nineteen. They still won that game, but he just didn't know he, <laughs> they didn't need to, I guess. Virtually two seasons ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. No, it's quite quite amazing. Okay, uh, let's move on. Uh, we're going to talk to Heather Mack about cops and about the year 2020 and in her own inimitable way. I, I want to just say something about schools, uh, something you maybe haven't heard. I've, I've been on a lot. I've been on TV a lot on the schools, the strikes, Chicago, people not going back. And... Now, as we are speaking, they are talking about a possible settlement in Chicago. Mm. But the union rank and file have to vote on it. I don't know whether they'll approve it. They're kind of intransigent. The deal, of course, is they get vaccinated virtually before anybody else. Mm-hmm. For old people, sick people. Yeah, I don't like that because there's no scientific evidence that they need to be. Right. But, you know, they have power. Liberty, when men act in bodies, is power. And... um you know, there are teachers' unions a body, and it has power, and it certainly has power in the Democrat Party. That's why Biden's been loath to uh, to criticize it. But the other dimension, everybody knows about this, and parents are furious, they're right to be, and, you know, these kids should be back in school. A couple of things. I, I looked, did some research this weekend, Claude, in anticipation of the Super Bowl just to get my mind off it, you know, <laughs> something else. <laughs> Put a number on what a third of a year that is for, say, from March, February, March to May, cost the U.S. in terms of dollars mm-hmm. for those kids to be out of school. If I had to just guess, uh-huh. like, oh, man, for kids to be out of school across the country for a quarter, I'm thinking probably $250 million? $14 trillion. Dollars. This is from Americana Shack at Stanford. Wow. Yeah, it's hard to fathom. Third of a year, $14 trillion. This is their earnings. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and it's not been a third of a year. It's been two-thirds of a year. And it's about to be a full year in Whoa. a month or two. Yeah. In a month. Yeah. So that would be like $42 trillion. Wow. We're talking about a loss. Mm-hmm. So forget the thing about, you know, minimum wage and about equal opportunity for kids. And, you know, we got to give these kids a hand up. 
Get him back in school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know that Chicago, 75% of the school is black and Hispanic? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they need those schools. Those kids need those schools. Or do they? Oh. Or do they? So I read an article about what's going on in Minnesota, about their woke curriculum in social studies and mm-hmm. history. And it's all just this politically correct junk. Mm. And looks like the same thing has taken over Chicago schools. Uh, our old friend George Will uh, has a column on Chicago. Kathy Kirsten, our fr- a colleague of our friend John Hinderocker uh, out in Minneapolis. Uh-huh. Catherine Kirsten says, Minnesota parents, are you ready for the coming woke invasion of your child's public schools? Uh, Minnesota's promising, proposing to replace the current standards. Uh, with uh, new standards, woke social activism. Uh, no D-Day, no George Washington. Uh, Lincoln and Gettysburg uh, are omitted. Mm. Um, uh, world history from Greece and Rome to World Wars One and Two is eliminated. Wow. Um, they talk about a uh, shift, a revolutionary shift. Uh, Minnesota Department of Education standards state that the purpose of social studies to prepare students to address powerful social, cultural, and political inequities. Not about learning. It's about activism. By examining their identities, becoming conscious and critical of their own biases in those larger society, and examining, examining various inequities, connections to other axes of stratification, including gender, race, class, sexuality, and legal status, and then go out and, um, and be, be activists. The standards portray America as a very, very bad place. Mm-hmm. And this is the uh, greenhouse for the next generation. Don't send them back to these schools, even if even if they open. I, I know, you know, pe- people say, well, we don't have any money. We can't afford private school. Push for the charters. Push for school choice. Mm-hmm. Go to the Catholic schools, see if you can get a break. Mm-hmm. Same thing in Illinois. And by the way, I'd like to ask our listeners, something like this is going on in your state or your district, would you please write us, give us some idea, give us some excerpts of what they're proposing? Chicago has something called Culturally Responsive Teaching and Learning. Uh, It's a law requiring teachers to implement action civics, uh, activism in uh, various causes, all liberal causes. This is the takeover of the schools uh, by liberal ideology. And uh, this is how you change society. Mm -hmm. Remember Plato, who gets to teach the kids and what do they teach them? And uh, this uh, curriculum out of Chicago, a cultural... um, Culturally responsive teaching and learning uh, is, uh, you know, it's just all the same stuff. Require teachers to assess the following, how their biases affect uh, how they how they use tools to mitigate their own behavior. Racism, sexism, homophobia, unearned privilege, Eurocentrism. Um, its ideology will infuse the licensing and certification for aspiring teachers. This will be a coercive incentive to adhere to the progressive catechism. Man, you know, if they open the schools back up, I'm not so sure kids should go back given all this. If you know about this in your state or your community, please let us know. Yeah, BillBennettPodcast.gmail.com. Come back to this uh, blueprint I've talked about, which is that if you want to uh, control a society, don't worry so much about the finance department or the defense department or OMB, education, schools. Mm-hmm. Get to the schools, get to the kids. And you can see the effects of this sometimes when you talk to some of these young people who've been raised on this stuff, and you can hear it. It's barked back in your face. So um, I think, Claude, a revolution may be brewing if people say, you know, I've said a number of times, are these the people you want teaching your kids? 
these people who have been holding up the school systems mm-hmm. for so long and, and not caring, essentially, whether parents are totally frustrated and kids are not learning. These are the kind of people you want teaching your kids anyway. And then you look at the kind of curricular changes that are going on in American schools. Man, I, I just, I, I think this, you know, this is a really, really serious thing. We'll talk to Heather a little bit about sure. this, too. Uh-huh. Other matters, I see there's some pushback uh, against Biden from some of the unions, the teachers' unions. But uh, I think Mr. Trumpka was not happy with the uh, shutting down of the pipeline. Mm-hmm. 11,000 workers lost their jobs. A lot of them union workers. We'll rely on our guy, Don, to find out how many more jobs have been lost this week. Right. With uh, his count. President's uh, executive orders. But a little trouble there. But this administration continues to defy what I thought, which was that it be center left by just being left. It's really, mm-hmm. and it really hates Donald Trump. And it's almost as if the first hundred days is what's our theme extirpate Donald Trump, the memory of Donald Trump, and try to make all his uh, people either change their minds or stay hidden. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It's been an ugly time. And seems un-Biden-like, but you got to go with the Biden who's there. You know, After 47 executive orders, it's kind of hard to deny. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Okay, it's time to welcome Heather MacDonald to the program. Heather is the Thomas W. Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Let's jump in. Goodness gracious. Uh, Somebody, I think it was the anthropologist Clifford Garrett said, every anthropologist loves his own tribe. My tribe's the schools. And I'm just looking at the strikes. And now I'm also looking at the curricula that are going into place in the schools, particularly in social studies and history. I'm not sure I want them to go back. Uh, Not if they're going to get... Oh, I agree. If we had a really robust system in this country that would help more parents with homeschooling, that is the one potential upside for the shame that we have seen the teachers' unions inflict upon themselves, their utter discrediting of any remaining legitimacy of erecting completely specious barriers to reopening schools. Were kids back, they would be indoctrinated further into a false narrative about America's endemic racism, learning to hate themselves, learning to hate each other. Yeah, Kathy Kirsten out at um, Minneapolis, Center of the American Experiment, has written about the new proposed curriculum in Minnesota. Uh, and George Will has just written about the one in Illinois. And so I'm adding, you know, during this whole strike thing, I've been saying, do you want people who behave like this really to be the people who are in front of your children the whole day? And now I'm adding to it, and do you want these people to be teaching this and yeah. then and then running through some of this curricular stuff. But it um, right. it dovetails nicely, in, uh, nicely, horribly, uh, into some of the things that you're talking about and writing about. Uh, I get the feeling sometimes that there's just an assault on everything we hold dear. I mean, I thought it was personal to Donald Trump, but it's not Donald Trump. It's Western civilization. It's everything we care about. Is, is that what's going on? Absolutely. My heart breaks every single day. Uh, the things that I love that I think 
everybody should love, the creations of greatness and beauty, are being mowed down in every single field. And the people that we have entrusted with preserving these traditions, with guarding them, with curating them, with passing them on to younger generations with love and gratitude, they are silent. They are either silent or they're complicitous in the attack. I'm writing now about the Black Lives Matter assault on classical music, uh, and every aspect of the classical music profession, whether it's the orchestral leaders, managers, uh, the classical music press, soloists, uh, opera companies, they are all accusing themselves of racism that does not exist. This is purely meritocratic. Orchestra members are hired on blind auditions. Nobody can see who they are, whether they're male, female, black, or white. And yet we're told that the, that blind auditioning is a racist product. Nobody, not a single conductor has stood up and said, this is nonsense. And classical music is being dragged into this swamp of hatred, of identity politics, just as art history has, just as the, the field of classics, that is the study of Latin and Greek and the great epic poems and, 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 and theater that was this, the cradle of, of Western civilization in the, in the classical Greek period. It is all being torn down out of hatred, ignorance, rage, and mediocrity. And it is absolutely heartbreaking. And is it, uh, does it have a chance at succeeding? That's what's making me nervous is that it seems to be the, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of weight on that side. I mean, there's silence, as you say, from the conductors, silence or cooperation from a lot of the corporations and companies, the media, we know where it is, uh, the universities. So, you know, how do we how do we defend ourselves? Uh, or are we right to be afraid, really afraid on this? They have succeeded already. Uh, the literature is not being taught anymore with appreciation, with joy, with humor, with, with awe. It is simply being used as a cudgel uh, to drive home this phony narrative. Students are leaving the fields because they want to be able to read books without having a political perspective uh, forced upon them. But to the extent that the, the classes are still being taught, uh, they're, they're being taught with anger and and bitterness and and again it's a it's a sign of mediocrity so there's not the battle has been lost and frankly it's been lost for 30 years you know this as well as i i mean there's this is long long coming uh you've been warning about it i've been warning well many others have been warning about what's been going on in the universities the universities now have extended their reach into the entire society which is dedicated to the same proposition uh that america's defining characteristic is racism uh, and and that now is is determining everything we are tearing down standards of excellence we are making uh, melanin the primary qualification for jobs in the sciences for research positions in neurology in in epidemiology and immunology the federal government is awarding its research grants based on sex and and race I mean we are we are destroying every mainstream institution in this country. Uh, Andy Kessler had an essay I saw yesterday about the latest from the SAT. The essay is now gone, along with the subject matter tests. Turns out, we found out years ago, the SAT was a really good predictor of uh, success 
terms of uh, people's later lives gone. Um, the question I have, I have a lot of questions, but one of them is, yeah, we saw a lot of this coming. We saw what was happening in the universities. But so if people graduate, though, they get out and they get in the, quote, real world, close quote, and then they see, you know, that a lot of this was nonsense. But that bubble is now, as you just put it, is now extended its reach, right? The You can now live an entire life in that world that you just described. Uh, so is is it is it lost? I mean, is the... Is the country lost or the American people lost? Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of them said no, uh, you know, in the election, however you want to interpret that, whatever. You know, Donald Trump's clumsy niche boorishness, et cetera. A lot of people said, well, you know, well, we don't like all this political correctness. That's how I interpreted it. Um, is there a resistance? And is there a resistance that's large enough? I guess I threw two or three questions at you. Take it any way you want it. Well, the wonderful political journalist Michael Barone, who I guess is an optimist by nature, he had a whole book about the idea that you suggested initially, distinguishing hard and soft yeah, America. Right. And he said, so colleges are soft America, you know, it's the safetyism ethic that we see now determining our response to the coronavirus pandemic. It's the uh, whining about non-orthodox speech, uh, being hate speech, being lethal to one's identity, and therefore must be suppressed. Uh, but when when graduates get out into the workplace, there's the hard reality of capitalist competition, uh, right, and right. Uh, they'll they'll throw all of the nonsense behind. I always thought that was a ridiculous thesis because the college students it's it's like a virus they're they're carrying this poison this sickness with them out of the university into the real world they're going into the corporations they're going into the HR department they're writing the corporate statements and they are transforming the world in their image we've seen just for a very long time the corporate world has gone left we are now in a a period of the rapid disappearance of the first amendment i don't know what this country is going to look like in five years at the rate we're going now or even really one year with this the widespread suppression of anything that contradicts the the mainstream narrative about racist oppression uh how how we're going to get that back so i i don't know i know one is supposed to be optimistic in forums like this because people don't want to be depressed and felt feel like there's nothing to do but i think we need to start uh crying from the mountaintops things are very bad and we're seeing also the very rapid evolution the january 6th capital riot was an absolute disaster the the left has seized upon it with utter brilliance opportunistically i think they're dead wrong but i am impressed by their strategy we saw over the trump years the the damning epithet racist get converted into white supremacist after charlottesville so so it's no longer that America was racist, it was white supremacist. Now, white supremacist isn't strong enough. White supremacist is being converted into domestic terrorist. And and so the line coming out of the left after the ridiculous, pathetic, outrageous, stupid Capitol Hill riot, which was clumsy, a one-off of people that were hot-headed, they'd been whipped up into a frenzy yeah, by yeah. the phony narrative of rigged election, that is now being turned into a widespread terrorist plot 
We Every day, every single day since January 6th, the New York Times has had a front-page article about right-wing domestic extremism as the biggest threat facing this country. That is wrong. It's it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a complete pipe dream. And yet, that claim is now being made the basis of further shutdown of free speech. All right, let me persist in... Um uh, if not optimism, I hope for optimism. Um, by the way, how, do you have any idea? I know you you count a lot. One of the great things in your article is you count and give us numbers. Do you have any idea? Do we have any idea how many quote white supremacists there are who you know who are active or would, would would engage in violence? Do we have any guess? Yeah, I think it must be like I don't know, maybe a thousand out there it's yeah. just, it's just zero zero, zero. Yeah. the number of actual like kkk people and so what you have instead is the left is saying that the proud boys are white supremacists yeah. no they're not they are they are western civilization chauvinists you know they are and they are yes they're pushing it back against the feminization of america rightly so because the feminization of America and of the university is a disaster, and the demonization of males is a disaster. But they are not white supremacists. They're saying Western civilization was the greatest thing that hit the, the world ever. Um, and, and yet, so the, the definition of what counts as a white nationalist or white supremacist now has just been expanded out of any, any realism. Okay, uh, let me persist. So racists call, say Americans are racist. They, they kind of don't think they are, but they're, they say, okay, let me think about it. Then they're white supremacists. They know they're white supremacists. Then they, that goes, morphs into your domestic terrorist. Now they know they're not domestic terrorists. Millions, of, hundreds of millions of Americans know they're not domestic terrorists. They know they're not. So isn't that the beginning of something, a resistance, a rebellion, a, a refusal? You know, I, Havel, remember Havel wrote about, we knew we were, we knew we were living a lie. Don't millions, hundreds of millions of Americans know we're living a lie right now with all the stuff you're talking about? They know it's a lie. Or do they? Well, I don't know what their power is to fight back, though, okay. uh, because you have more and more people that are the products of the university. Nobody's figured out how to break the stranglehold of big tech. Uh, you know, it's just a technological, it's a problem of scale, and I, I sure don't have any uh, solutions to it. Um, so, you, you know, they know they're living a lie, but the, the left, you know, I just... Some of my friends, I think, are in a bubble, and they don't subject themselves, understandably, to the horror of reading the New York Times every day. But there's a lot of people who believe it's absolutely true, and, and they're numerous, too. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and, and I would say that their numbers are growing. I mean, the red state perpetuating institutions are being dismantled. The military is PC. You know, any, any military that says you have to have females in combat units has completely discarded its its identity as a war-making institution. It's turned itself into simply a feminist institution to promote females because females in a combat unit is a recipe for utter uh, destruction of, of, of combat morale and unit cohesion. Uh, and, you know, the, the fraternities are being dismantled. The Boy Scouts have been dismantled. So in the long term, I don't I'm not really sure what keeps red state mentality going in the next couple generations. Do you know Alan Galzo? 
Yeah, historian. Yeah. All right. So I was talking to Gelzo, and he said greatest split in the country since the Civil War, and I said, including the Civil War, because there was a huge split on slavery, but not on a lot else. I mean, I you know your your basic Yankee and your basic Southerner agreed on eighty percent of the world. Yeah. Not now. It's an interesting. That's an interesting point. Absolutely. I mean, in terms of a, I, uh, a break, uh, you know, uh, uh, having a separation, a balkanization of the country, I think this is the worst it's ever been. But I want to come I back agree. to these millions or hundreds of millions. Um, you know, one of my sons says, hey, you know, this higher ed thing, they're so disgusted. With, this is good. You know, dad, take this as an opportunity. Tell your friends uh, and, you know, and tell these people, just leave the uni- damn universities. Just leave them. Mm-hmm. You know, leave them. You don't need them. Yeah. You don't need them to get a job. Maybe we can liberate yeah. here. And in so liberating, you know, break the stranglehold of this ideology. Anything to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I would love to see a revival of the 18th century uh, uh, tradition of the Grand Tour, where aristocrats sent their sons from Britain to the continent under the wing of a young scholar, you know, who would take them to Rome and Florence and yeah. and educate them along the way. I think we have to. Uh, if there's any conservative billionaires left, uh, they should be putting their money both into trying to figure out the t- big tech problem and into creating alternatives to college that will be uh, attractive. The, the problem always is the damn credentializing with these... Yeah. Ivy League yeah, schools, yeah, and, and yeah. you know, not just the Ivies, but any named school is seen as the way to get your kid, yeah. you know, into a status-filled life. But but um, there's got to be some alternatives. You know, we need homeschooling at the at the at the college level. Yeah, because- yeah, yeah. I have some hope too on this uh, at the uh, as as I started at the elementary and secondary level with the disgust with the unions and closed schools. You've got some things cropping up like learning pods you know it's it's just folks it's just parents and you know you chip in i know math and you know literature and and uh you know i I, I, i'm looking around i'm talking to a lot of education companies and i talk to these education companies and it's funny a lot of them are high tech and they you know they want somebody on their board who you know has a credential i got this big credential this secretary of ed thing but i'm saying you know you guys gotta think bigger you know you don't just want to throw this thing into the school you want to Get them out of the schools. Um, right. But but I, I don't know. You know, where's the lever? I guess I'm looking for the lever. Um, uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I understand. Irving Crystal taught me. He, he said, you know, he said, um, be a theoretical pessimist like Isaiah. You know, it's all wind and ashes. But, you know, when you get, get up in the morning, be an operational pessimist. How can we move the ball today, you know? And, yeah. and that's that's what I'm trying to think of. And. So, yeah, I'm going in probably in, in too many directions. I agree with you about the billionaires uh, and what they should uh, and what they should be doing. But you, you had you had this great column about Biden and Mr. Unification. He's not. And boy, was I wrong about that, because I thought the ads that the Republicans were running, you know, about this was socialism and leftism. And I thought he's going to get in. And I first of all thought there'd be a 51 Republican Senate. And I thought, you know, the governance would be center, center left. No, wrong. Totally wrong, right? I was wrong. Afraid to say you were wrong, Bill. Yeah. It kills me to do so. Really wrong. 47 executive orders later. Well, throughout the campaign, he was 
singing the same tune as everybody else about America's systemic racism. He was saying it constantly. He said it constantly during the campaign, echoing President Obama that, that black parents were right to fear that their child would be killed by a police officer every time he walked out the street. That was that that was not you, you couldn't turn away from that. Anybody who says that has put the world on notice that he is now fully on board with the most left-wing view of this country. So I figured and that he was going to make race, as he has done, uh, one of the defining features of his administration. I predict that it's just a matter of time before he invites Ibram Kendi the big anti-racism guy to come in and 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 create a new uh, government agency dedicated simply to finding disparate impact and penalizing any organization that uses meritocratic standards that are found to have a disparate impact on minority candidates. All right. Do you think it wrong? Naive Republicans say, yeah, but wait till the midterms. We'll get the House back. Ah, so what? Big deal. Um, I think he's going to do so much damage by then with immigration, uh, you know, bringing in just millions more people, mass, low-skilled, impoverished uh, immigration that is not to anybody's advantage in this country. Where's the Congressional Black Caucus on this in terms of jobs and stuff? It is just absolutely bizarre. They would rather... uh, Shore up the victim narrative uh, rather than 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 look out for the best interests of low income people, whether it's black, white, or Hispanic. It's it's completely remarkable. I agree. Do you know the book uh, submission by this French book uh, by Michelle Horn? I've heard of it by Ula Book. Uh huh. You heard um, of it? I've heard of it. Yeah, I haven't read it. Yeah, I, I read it in, in translation, but. Uh, very interesting, and it's about how France has taken over, and and um, you know the, the short of it is sort of back to where we were. Uh, you can have the OMB and the Defense Department and Commerce. Uh, we'd like a few of our radical Islamist people to be in the Department of Education. Yeah, get them, get them while they're young. Um, yep. I, 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 you know, my guy, our guy, everybody's guy, Plato. Who gets to teach the children? What do we teach them? I mean, that's the whole point of the republic. You know, you want equality? Here, get them all away from their parents because these parents exercise, you know, uh, extraordinary and unequal influence on, on children. So get them all in one place and indoctrinate the hell out of them. And um, that's 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 what we're looking at. But but there are a lot of people. I, I want to. I keep saying the same thing. I don't know if it's making any sense. I, maybe it makes it seems to me to make more sense if I say it over and over again. Um, What's that thing about the madman? He says it and then he believes it. Is that it? But there are a lot of people who just aren't buying this. I mean, I talk to people quietly, uh, sometimes loudly, about this, and they're, 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 they agree. They agree with you. They agree with me. See, this is crazy. What's going on? Where do we go? What do we do? This has been true since the 90s. You know, I have friends that are constitutional optimists. So let's say you said to the optimists in the 90s, gee, you know, we have the uh, water buffalo case at, at University of Pennsylvania. Right. You already 
have, you know, in the 80s, you had the hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go at Stanford. I was there. The destruction of their, of their Western Civ curriculum, uh, the rise of feminism in, in universities, of identity politics, of multiculturalism in the humanities in the 80s. So you say to your optimist, oh, well, you know, things are looking pretty bad. Oh, no, no, things are going to get great. So at the end of the 90s, the optimist would have been wrong. Then you start out in the 2000s and you say, oh, things are looking pretty bad. And the optimist said, no, it's on the, you know, people don't, they're not putting up with this. They're not putting up with it. By the 2010s, it's worse. You say in 2010, well, the optimist said, things are going to get better. People are not, like, I don't like, I don't agree with this. It's gotten worse and worse and worse. At what point does the optimist become right? I've been warning. People have seen this since the 1980s. It has only gotten worse. We have won no battle when it comes to the salvation of Western civilization. The, the 1619 Project is going to now be in schools. That is the now official line on American history. There is no pushback. So do I think it's not worth fighting? No, one has to. One has to fight for what one loves. One has to speak the truth. One cannot apologize. You have to stand up. Let them call you a racist. So what? Nevertheless, uh, it, it's, it's a false narrative to say this is something new and we're only noticing it now. No, this has been going on for 50 years and they've won every single battle. I'm not saying it's new, and I'm certainly agreeing that it's gotten worse. Did you know my my part in the in that Stanford debate? By the way, no. Uh, it was I was Secretary of Education. I was invited out uh, to speak at Stanford, and I went. And I, I asked if I'd have the opportunity to debate President Kennedy. His name was Kennedy at the time, yeah. and they said no, he won't be in town. And I said, well, we'll change the date. There was no time he was in town. Um, <laughs> So I went out and gave a gave an, a, a, a paper called The Case for Western Civilization because they were getting rid of it. And I remember I, I, I quipped, you know, Jesse Jackson said, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. I said, that's catchy, but not but not uh, not decisive, uh, you know, not convincing. And then I made the case for Western civilization, you know, has some problems, but as far as civilizations go, pretty damn good, you know. Probably the best. And then there was a long, the lecture hall was packed, and apparently there were closed circuit, uh, you know, places for people to listen. And the, I, I then said, let's let, let me let's talk to the faculty. I want to argue with the faculty. Faculty would yeah. not would not go to the microphone. They sent the students up. Yep, yep. They wouldn't debate me. The faculty, you know, you're smart PhD people. Why couldn't they debate um, this? You know this uh, this this Republican you know philosopher with a mediocre PhD yeah. from Texas. You know. Yeah, but unbelievable cowards. It's the same thing. You it's, face this a lot. It, so. You face this a lot. Anyway, I got a great review in the Stanford Review. You know who the editor was? Uh, see, I guess D'Souza was at Dartmouth. So who uh, who would it have been? No, I don't know. Peter Thiel. Ryan Bell. Oh, really? Peter Thiel. Yeah, he said Bennett made a really good case. I, I, I just read it again the other day. I said, you son of a gun, why didn't you give me a tip on PayPal, you know? <laughs> and, and anyway, anyway, that, you know, that was that, and then it went on. I finally caught up to President Kennedy, President Stanford, on the McNeil there news hour, and we debated the merits oh, wow. of, of this. But, oh, wow. Uh, and anyway, okay, I agree. It has gotten worse, but this is America. Heather, you're being un-American. Come on, we, we come back. The... You know the 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 
the juices get back. We we rehabilitate. We you know it. Sometimes it takes a flood to to get us acting in the right way. But you know we'll figure it out. All right. Well, I hope you're right. I um because believe me, this this stuff breaks my heart as I say every day. Um, but if you'd said that in the '80s, you would have been wrong. I know. That was a long time ago. So, but we'll hope. We'll hope that there's somebody more eloquent than Trump who can make the claims for yeah. Uh, yeah. a unapologetic civilization. Can rebut the claims of 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 the people of mediocre people who cannot compete, uh, who want to blame everything on on oppression and racism that does not exist. This is the most open-hearted country at this point. There. The, the reality is black privilege, not white privilege. If you want to get your kid into Harvard, uh, hope he's black. He'll be admitted with test scores and GPAs that would be automatically disqualifying if presented by whites and Asians. And that's true in, in practically every corporation and law firm and bank across the country. It's certainly true in the classical music industry today, uh, but it's true in, in the private economy as well. And did I read it from you last, but why the hell would people line up on the border to get into such a horrible place? Right. That's what's hilarious with Biden's claim that this is systemic racism, you know, which he said during the campaign in his inaugural address uh, and since then that this is the biggest threat in this country is systemic racism. And yet he's for open borders. Like, you can't have it both ways. So, you know, my argument is the Republicans, usually there's a quid pro quo for amnesty, which is, okay, we'll give you another damn amnesty, but you've got to promise to actually enforce the law in the future so we don't have another bigger amnesty in another 10 years. That never happens, but Biden isn't even pretending to uh, offer a quid pro quo. He's not offering more border enforcement, more interior enforcement. So my proposition is, okay, here's another quid pro quo. We'll give you your amnesty, but you have to stop calling this country systemically racist because it's logically inconsistent. If, if this country is so lethal to people of color, why do you want to bring millions more people of color from Africa, uh, from the Caribbean, from, from South America yeah, yeah. into this country to suffer this oppression? And they're actually voting with their feet. You know, people across the world are beating down the doors to get into America because they know that it's not a place of oppression. It's a place of opportunity. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Heather, thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. Keep up your work. Thank and, you, Bill. Uh, if we turn it around, you'll be... Well, when we erect, new, when we erect new statues, one of them will be of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, make sure that it's graffiti-proof, please. Gotcha. I will, get, I will get a conservative billionaire to make it, okay. to, to, to pay for it. Thank you, dear. Thank no, you. I'd rather have... I'd rather have one of Mozart, so I, I'll cede my place. I got you. Not, not, a, not, a, not, a, not a equal uh, trade, I well, realize. I was anyway. re- reading the other day that, that Beethoven and Bach is the consensus for the greatest composer. Not right? Uh, that could well be. I, I mean, it's just it's impossible. It's like it's yeah. like Mozart is certainly has a strong claim on the on the matter as well. But at some point, you throw up your hands in just despair at the greatness of all of them. It's not like Tom Brady, one of a kind, right? Yeah, true. I spared you that. But okay, okay. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show.
And that just about does it for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Be sure to tell your family, tell your friends. Share it on your social media pages. Feel free to like me on Facebook. I've been banned from Facebook yet, haven't no. I? No, or Twitter. Search Bill Bennett. Follow me on Twitter. Still there, too. Mm-hmm. Despite my opinions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's not talk about it. Let's just leave it alone. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter, William J. Bennett. You can also email me at Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you.